0: there, Gallery Church. So glad that you're able to join us here online. As we enter this space, um, I know that uh, with this online, you could be in the midst of doing a lot of things. You might be listening in the car. You might be sitting at your favorite restaurant. You might be at home uh, doing, enjoying this during the premiere hour at 1030 on Sunday morning. I'm not really sure to whom I'm speaking to right now, but I'm glad that you're here uh-huh. and as you can tell it's the day of the week we're recording this it's like 35 degrees outside and it's like where is the spring and i don't know about you but there's been a lot happening around issues of justice this week and i'm glad that that's our subject matter for today but before we get into our teaching and our time of focus Let's just take a deep breath together to get fully present. So if it's appropriate, you can close your eyes. If you're if you're doing something that you can't close your eyes, that's fine. But let's just take a deep breath together. And I want to read a passage to us from Isaiah 43. And let that set the tone of excitement and anticipation for our time together. So let's just take that deep breath together now. center us, Lord Jesus. Isaiah 43, 18 and 19 says this, but forget all that. It is nothing compared to what I am going to do for. I'm about to do something new. See, I have already begun. Do you see it? And that's the anticipation that I'm longing for us today is that we begin to see that God is doing something new. Let's open our eyes. Let's look into it. Let's join him in it today. You know, and I know that we are trying to bring together both our online audience and our in-person gathering by lining up the premiere and our service at 1030. And so as soon as this worship time is over for you, I would invite you to go to the description Uh, of whichever platform you're watching this and click on that zoom link where you can join us at the Lord's table with our live audience. You can join in the question and response time and continue to participate in that as we um, begin to step more and more into us being you know, able to really do life together as things are happening. So we welcome you here. If you need prayer, you can email us anytime during this gathering at prayer at If you have our app, you can click on the prayer tab. I encourage you to download our app from whatever platform uh you get your apps from. I want to encourage you to do so. Um, but you can Uh, click the prayer link on the app and it will also give you an opportunity to seek prayer together. And so one of the ways in which we try to worship in person and online is in our generosity. And so we've put together a generosity prayer that we are joining in with many other believers around the world and saying, because we know the heart of God, our father in heaven is generous and we want to have that same heart. And so right now, I would love for you to read along with me out loud, if possible, wherever you are, and join with me in sharing in this generosity prayer. Father in heaven, there is nothing I have that you have not given me. All I have and am belong to you, bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. To spend everything on myself and to give without sacrifice is the way of the world that you cannot abide. But generosity is the way of those who call call Christ their Lord, who love him with free hearts and serve him with renewed minds, who withstanding the delusion of riches that chokes the word, whose hearts are in your kingdom and not in the systems of the world. I am determined to increase in generosity until it can be said that there is no needy person among us. And I am determined to be trustworthy with such a little thing as money that you may trust me. With true riches. Above all, I am determined to be generous because you, Father, are generous. It is the delight of your daughters and sons to share your traits and to show what you are like to all the world. Amen. I want to encourage you right now to take time uh, to give. You can do through the app. You can click on the give link. You can um, take time to give by sending a check to the address on the screen. Uh, There's ways in which you can do that. You can even text the give if you like to join us as we uh, bring our our finances finances together so that we can continue to make sure that we're meeting the needs of all of our brothers and sisters amongst us. And so right now, I want to continue to invite you into a time of focus as we get ready for week three in the current series, A Culture of Goodness.
1: Welcome to week three of our seven week series, A Culture of Goodness. A church's culture matters, and we believe that as we live in a culture, our culture begins to live in and into us. How we understand and feel about our father in heaven is formed and fostered by the church we attend. This week, our focus is on the importance of justice. We're searching for truth and inspiration for how we talk about Jesus as Lord of all and how we are to live good lives that announce the good news of Jesus Christ. In a goodness church culture, justice or doing the right thing is a leading theme. In a toxic church culture, loyalty to the leader or brand often takes precedence. At times, the difference between justice and loyalty is subtle, but when they are at odds with one another, those differences become massive. Sadly, in many churches today, Christians are asked to choose between loyalty and justice. Scott McKnight God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Paul to the church in Ephesus. Put into a formula, justice means to be empowered through the Holy Spirit to do the right thing. Laura Beringer.
2: Hello, Gallery Church family. My name's Blake Cataldo. I'm beyond words uh, with gratitude um, to be with you today. When Ellis presented me with the idea of teaching about justice during this series, my heart leapt at the thought. You see, not only is today an opportunity to mark the culmination of our family's journey with this church, it's also a culmination of my journey with God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. God has led me to spend a lot of time and energy on the topic of justice in my journey. But I must admit it wasn't always this way. As you may be aware, today is the last Sunday we will be gathering with you after nearly 10 years of ministry together. I say that now and take a moment to pause at the wonders God has done in those 10 years. But when Liv and I first came to Gallery Church, we were one year out of completing a program on uh, worship ministry leadership. And in our youthfulness, we were very eager Uh, almost to a fault, (laughs) about sharing Christ through the avenue of worship. We firmly believed that leading people toward faith in Christ through the avenue of worship was the answer to all of the world's problems. While there's a degree of truth to that perspective, it's even more telling of a little bit of naivety we had at the time. But our journey with Gallery has brought us here. One of the verses we revisited a lot since the turn of the new year, and again in this series, is Ephesians 2, verses 8-10. through And if you've been around our church for any amount of time, you know how important these verses are to us. And this is from the New Living Translation. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. But pay attention to this verse, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. This verse is part of the inspiration behind the name for Gallery Church. We are God's masterpiece. We are a collection of masterpieces on display for the greatness of God. And in these verses, the Apostle Paul speaks of a grace that saves through faith. And yet there are works prepared for us to do in Christ. I think too often churches debate the difference between faith and works, that they're at odds with each other, when really Paul's own scripture here is talking about both working in tandem with one another. In this verse, the same inspiration caught our attention, being Liv and I, in our earliest years here. And it's the same inspiration that's casting a vision for a culture of goodness to thrive in the future of this church family. Along our 10-year journey, some major paradigm shifts began to happen in me. About halfway through our time together, I started questioning the merits of emphasizing right belief that was not combined with a desire for right practice. In my studies of church history, I saw millennia of bloodshed written in the Christian story due to differences in belief. In my experience as a minister, I witnessed relationship upon relationship split, over differences in belief. All the while, I saw Baltimore City as our home, a city desperate for a representation of Christ through the union of faith and works. And I think Jesus was confronting a similar issue in Matthew 5, verses 17 through 20. In this opening chapter of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has already given us the Beatitudes, these ideas which reframe the in groups and out groups of the kingdom of God. He's compared this ragtag audience of desperate followers to the salt and the light of the earth. Note the closing verse that completes the analogy about us being the light of the earth. Matthew 5, 16. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your, pay attention, your good works and give glory to your father in heaven. That's from the NRSV. And notice that emphasis there. Jesus' own words. Mention our light shining through our good works. And then Jesus offers these words, the scripture at hand in Matthew 5:17 through 20. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one letter, not one stroke of a letter will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, Whoever breaks, and some translations say whoever annuls, or wipes out, one of these of the least commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. And then this essential verse to our conversation today. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. In this introduction to the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is preaching to a group of followers who do not yet believe in him the way we Christians today think about belief in Jesus. They don't know about the cross yet. They don't have the resurrection to go back on yet in this part of the narrative. But they are a group of people desperate to see the power structures change. And Jesus calls out one of the main power holders of their day, the Pharisees. The Pharisees were the lawmakers and the power brokers of that day. They controlled the in-groups and the out-groups. They held the keys to the kingdom in the imagination of these early disciples. And Jesus is painting the picture of a different kind of righteousness. The Pharisees welcomed people into the fold if they followed an interpretation of the law, a very specific interpretation of the law. Over 600 different rules that had to be precisely followed for full inclusion in this first century community. So how can Jesus advocate for a righteousness that surpasses this unreachable standard? But don't we do the same thing as the Pharisees in our churches today? Are Christians sometimes not guilty of enforcing extra biblical standards as a sort of price of admission for full inclusion in our communities? Sometimes we look at someone differently because they don't look like they fit in a community. Sometimes we look for particular status symbols in the people that walk into our church doors. Sometimes we bank on other people's associations before they can be full members of our church bodies. Are there not people who use the name of Christ to justify their actions in a violent insurrection just months ago? Have not numerous Christian leaders in very recent history been called out for their tendencies to amass power and influence through demanding loyalty? rather than being the type to give power away. Sadly, the image of Christ, even in our modern churches, has been one that has not looked very tove. It's an image that has not looked very good, as we have been guilty of fighting for cultural dominance rather than putting forward Christ-like servitude. Thankfully, the scripture gives us some answers in ways the earliest churches were setting out to undo the pharisaical tendencies of the day. Let's look at the book of James, for example, and keep in mind the passage from Matthew we read earlier. We're going to read from James chapter 1, verse 27 through 2, verse 10. This is a longer bit of scripture, so bear with me and read along, but I think these verses have a lot to speak to this um, context that we're, we're talking about today. James says this, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to care for orphans and widows in their distress. And to keep oneself unstained by the world. And then he speaks more to this community. My brothers and sisters, do you with your acts of favoritism really believe in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ? For if a person with gold rings and in fine clothes comes into your assembly, and if a poor person in dirty clothes also comes in, and if you take notice of the one wearing fine clothes and say, have a seat here, please. While to the one who is poor, you say, stand there or sit at my feet. Some translations say, sit under my footstool. Have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers and sisters, and hear James's heart. My beloved brothers and sisters, has not God chosen the poor in the world to be rich in faith and to be heirs of the kingdom that he has promised to those who love him? Does that sound familiar? Sounds like the Sermon on the Mount. Sounds like the Beatitudes. But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who oppress you? Is it not they who drag you into court? Is it not they who blaspheme the excellent name that was invoked over you? You do well if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. Again, echoes of Jesus' own words, an emphasis on love your neighbor as yourself, an emphasis on a different kind of righteousness that supersedes that of their day. So do you hear how this early church leader was inspiring his community to put the teachings of Jesus into practice? Emphasis on the poor, laying down power, referencing the Sermon on the Mount, following the royal law of you will love your neighbor as yourself. This church was working to embody the teaching of Jesus, to embody it in their flesh, in their, their their active doing in the world. They put their faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus through concrete actions that broke down the cultural barriers around them. The status of rich and poor, James was inspiring this church to take those cultural barriers and do away with them in their community. James is reminding his audience that the type of love exemplified by Christ does not distinguish between who is my neighbor. There is no question of who we love. Christ's love is limitless, shared with all and between all with a preferential bent toward the outcasts of society. See, James Church was one that followed the law as displayed by Christ because they believed it brought liberation. They embodied a form of justice that upset the status quo and leveled the balances because they believed in what Christ had done for them. Their faith and their works had become married together. Scott McKnight and Laura Beringer define justice this way in their book, A Church Called Tope, Forming a Goodness Culture. They say justice can be defined as behavior that measures up to or conforms with what God has revealed to us in Christ and the scripture. Every time I think about these words, I'm reminded of the Great Commission. These words that many of our churches put out in front as a focus point. In Matthew 28:18 through 20, Jesus says, uh, the scripture says, Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, Baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. We know that pretty well. But verse 20 says, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And a gentle encouragement to remember, for I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus is reminding his disciples to root faith in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and to obey all of the commands that Jesus himself had given them. It's not just about our belief in God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's about the way we obey God through Christ. So friends, family, to be a church in today's world that nurtures justice, we must know Christ Jesus well, and we must trust in his authority. For only then can we know what true justice looks like. Only in knowing Christ can we know what it means to lay down our lives for one another, be that a friend or an enemy. Only in knowing Christ can we know what it means to be generous, and abundantly so. Only in knowing Christ can we know true Tove, true goodness, and can we extend the same to our neighbors. And as we grow in knowing Christ, we grow in knowing true justice. And we begin to recognize injustice on the inverse. Like James, we can call injustice what it is. Remember how he called out this behavior of favorable treatment towards the rich and putting down the poor. James doesn't mince words, he calls his church on the turf. (laughs) We can call out exclusionary power hoarding and destructive habits, but seeking to replace them with inclusive, expansive and life-giving ones. We can trade the desires of the flesh, as Paul outlines in Galatians 5, 19 through 21, for the fruit of the spirit in Galatians 5, 22. But we must know and hear this. Taking a stand for what is just and right will likely cost us something. We must be courageous to take a stand anyway, despite the repercussions that may come. Think about it. If Christ is our example, what else do we expect? Remember, we follow a Savior who was executed because he loved people outside of acceptable norms. He advocated for alterations to the religious status quo, and he refused to reciprocate violence or hate in the face of false accusations. If Christ is our example, what else do we expect when we start to live into justice? We remember that we also follow a Savior whose death was not the end, but whose resurrection is the very reason why we're here today. We gather every Sunday to remember the resurrection of Christ. And lastly, as we seek to nurture justice as a church in our journey forward, we must take time to celebrate and tell the full story when justice prevails. And what a week that I get to make such a point. Our news cycles are overwhelmed right now with the outcome of the Derek Chauvin trial, how convictions were delivered for the murder of George Floyd. It's a monumental moment, one worth celebrating and celebrating fully, for justice has been served against an obvious injustice and a blatant abuse of power. Yet the full story requires us to remember the long list of names that come before George Floyd and even the names that are coming after him. Names like Trayvon Martin, Mike Brown, Freddie Gray, Eric Garner, Breonna Taylor, Dante Wright, and countless others who have died because violence is still too strong a force in our world. But the full story reminds us that it's good to take time to celebrate the victories. Yet goodness cannot prevail until the world is made right, until injustice is a thing of the past. One word of caution as we start to think about how to embody justice in our churches moving forward. We must be careful not to wish judgment upon our adversaries. There's not one part of me that celebrates that Derek Chauvin is in jail. I celebrate that justice has been served, but I grieve the fact that he had murdered another human being. Take Amos 5, 18 through 24, for example, Amos warns about the day of the Lord, this theme in the book of the 12, the minor prophets, if you will, a constant theme about a day of judgment that's coming, a day of reckoning that's going to be brought about. And this prophet says this, Alas for you who desire the day of the Lord. Why do you want the day of the Lord? It is darkness, not light. As if someone fled from a lion and was met by a bear or went into the house and rested a hand against the wall and was bitten by a snake. Here are these extreme examples. Is not the day of the Lord darkness, not light and gloom with no brightness in it? This foreboding sense of the day of the Lord. And then he takes on the voice of God in response to this idea. God says to these people, these being the ancient Israelites, I hate, I despise your festivals and I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the offerings of well-being of your fatted animals, I will not look upon. Take away from me the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the melody of your harps. Those verses hit home for me as a worship leader. But instead, let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. You see, we cannot just sit and wait for the day of the Lord and hope for all to be made right one day. The prophet Amos reminds us that the day of the Lord, this Hebrew notion of a day in which God's judgment is fulfilled, is not something we should wish upon anyone. Not at all. The Christian church exists to break the patterns of injustice by being a culture of people committed to looking like and living like Jesus Christ. It's as simple as that. We can only do this as we grow together in knowing him better. Amos reminds us that our worship is an element of knowing God, but it's meaningless if it doesn't lead us somewhere. Worship is meant to lead us into the presence of God, to transform us into the likeness of Christ, so that we may be changed by the Holy Spirit to bring goodness into the world. Once again, faith and works must be married. Our belief in Christ must be announced from the rooftops and celebrated as we pair that belief with tangible actions of loving our neighbors in the world. And one of the reasons we come to the table week in and week out is because it's a tangible reminder of the likeness of Christ we seek to grow into. We remember and encounter a body that's broken for us. We remember and we encounter a blood that was shed For our forgiveness, we remember and encounter a Savior whose salvation is fully displayed in the power of resurrection. And we hope for the Savior to come again, bringing justice to completion in the fullness of his kingdom. We hope for our good shepherd to reign. So as we come to the table together, I ask you to reflect on how your journey with God is calling you into a life of justice, into a life that embodies your belief in Jesus, that seeks to follow after his very actions, a man whose life was full of joy and abundance and who knew the cross that was laid before him. Let's go to the table together and encounter the living Christ.
1: We want to invite you to respond to the word of God That we just received. We know that He is speaking and working in our hearts. Do you know Jesus Christ? Do you trust His authority? What is the Holy Spirit saying to you about what sin is in you? Do you know what justice looks like? Do you know injustice when you see it? What is the Holy Spirit saying to you? Are you willing to pay the cost that's associated with a life of justice? Ask the Holy Spirit to minister to you now and help you see what ways you are to display the goodness of God and his love for the city of Baltimore. Let's respond to the Holy Spirit, acknowledge his work in us, and celebrate that we are lavishly loved by our Father in Heaven and our Lord Jesus Christ.
0: Okay, church family, before we um, move towards our benediction and then our Zoom time of lingering together with our in-person family, I want to just give us a couple of quick announcements. The first one is to mark your calendar. We're going to have a special Covenant family meeting together on Sunday, June the 20th. All of our covenant family from our churches are coming together for just a really important meeting as we get ready for a new year that's going to be coming our way in July and August as, um, as we are prayerfully looking at our church and all that God is doing. So mark your calendar, June 20th, five o'clock, our Covenant family coming together. And I also want you to know we're going to have a special Pentecost Sunday on May 23rd out in the courtyard. We're praying for great weather. Um, Our Patterson community is coming to, our Patterson church family is coming to join up with us. We've invited some other churches to uh, participate on a limited basis as well. Um, But we are going to open up registration for that Pentecost Sunday where we can. And enjoy seeing the diversity in the family of God and celebrate the beauty of the church and the way that he has sent his spirit upon us with power and authority to do the good things he's planned for us to do. So I want to encourage you um, to put May 23rd Sunday, and, and uh, if you if you feel comfortable, make yourself available for that special time of that gathering together. And then the last thing I just want uh, to share with you as a church family is that as we are going through this series, um, we are continuing to put information in the notes. We want you to be able to meditate on what you've been taught. We're looking for ways that you can um, talk to your growth community and those that are really close to you in your hubs, ways that can help you continue um, to allow your faith and the good that God planned for us to come together and thrive with one another. So June 20th, Covenant Family, May 23rd, Pentecost Sunday and pay attention to the notes section in your app. And so here we go. Here's our benediction. I'm just going to extend my hand towards you right now. It's a form of blessing. But as we go from here today, may our faith increase and the revelation of the good thing God wants us to do. May we allow his Holy Spirit to work in us so that we can see injustice. And give us wisdom to respond with justice. May the church be known for its wisdom and faith and goodness and justice as we've been talking about these last few weeks. So may God's grace and peace be with you. Thank you guys so much. We'll see you in the Zoom lingering.